Okay, thanks, Tamara. I'm Dave Householder, blessed to be your Bible teacher, and we're going to look at the Christmas story. The Christmas story is in Luke 2. I'd really encourage you at your Christmas dinner to have somebody pull out a Bible and read Luke chapter 2 for the folks. Uh, you ever seen the Charlie Brown Christmas? Linus at the end says, this is what Christmas is all about, and reads the story. And it's a beautiful thing to do. So we're going to do that just to let you know what's coming here in the service. We're going to spend a little bit of time just talking about Christmas. And Christmas can be a real challenging time for us. I had two conversations with people on the way in where Christmas is very different this year for these two extended families because the older generation has passed away and things are sort of reconfiguring. And the older we get, the more challenging Christmas can be sometimes because we lose people along the way. And Christmas is a time we remember people. I've got a little pin here from my father-in-law. This is something he attended. He was a timber sales guy, and he attended something in Paris, the World Congress of Timber Merchants or something. I'm going to put the pin on here because he's gone on to be with the Lord, and I miss him. And Christmas can have that sort of hope and also a little sadness in it. We're sort of in the middle. So let's pray before we get started. Lord, uh, just a moment, we're going to light our little candles and sing that song that was written in the Alps in Europe, Silent Night. We're going to open up our hearts to receive your son who came as a baby. And we're going to read the story that Luke wrote for us. So Lord, this has been a busy day for a lot of people. Some people literally ran from their cars to get here on time. And Lord, we just want to take a little bit of time to be in your presence before we get started. And I pray, Lord, that you would bring to mind each of us one of our best Christmas memories. Lord, it feels good just to stop for a second and to breathe and to take time to make sure that the holiday doesn't get away from us, that Christmas doesn't zip by. Lord, I want to give you thanks for Luke, the writer of the gospel, who took the time to write this magnificent, <laughs> magnificent story about your son's birth, without which our, our entire Western civilization would be infinitely poorer. So I give you thanks, Lord, uh, for the gift you gave us in this story. Pray that you bless all of our memories, Lord, as we think of that best Christmas we've had. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. My best Christmas was in Belgium. It was my last Christmas as a civilian, my last Christmas where I didn't preach, where I didn't lead a service. I was in training to be a pastor, and Wendy's parents are from Holland. And so we went to Belgium, which sounds real exotic, but it's like driving to San Diego from here. It's not very far. And we went to a little hotel, and there was snow all over the place. It was a rural area. And we asked around, and we said, uh, is, there Christmas? is there a Christmas service nearby in a village? And there's a little village right near this little hotel, and it's the kind of village where nobody even paints their houses. They're just sort of 
farming people. And so we found this Christmas service on Christmas Day. And it's a French-speaking part of Belgium. And we went in there, and the farmers came in all a little bit late. And they had, shall we say, animal matter on their on their coats because they had done their chores. And they gathered and they started singing Christmas carols in French, just from memory. It was absolutely beautiful. The Spirit of the Lord was very thick in the room. And we've all got memories like that of Christmases. Christmases are like a nickel. And what do I mean by that? Well, I've got a nickel with me right here. If you've ever flipped a coin, you know that nickels are very special because there's an infinitesimal chance that the nickel will not do heads or tails. Why is that? Because a nickel has a smooth edge to it as opposed to a quarter or a dime. And it literally can, occasionally, you can look up what the odds are, I'm sure it's not very big, can land on its side and stay there. In fact, I practice balancing one today, and sure enough, you can balance a nickel, and there it sits. And Christmas is a time right when the days are really dark, and it's right on the tipping point of the winter solstice, and we start moving into longer days and shorter nights. And it's like that nickel that just sits there, can go either way. And the truth is, for most of us, Christmas is both the tragic and the hopeful together. The sad part about Christmas is the people that we're no longer celebrating with. And the older you get, the more of those people there are. We had a guy at our men's group this morning said, uh, there's three kinds of people. Too young to read the obituary, reading the obituary, and being in the obituary. So you'll just, you just kind of make your way through there. And as you get older, people start to disappear. It was amazing at Tamara's father's funeral to see so many people there. And he was in his 90s. Usually when someone's in their 90s, there's like six people left. And everybody else is gone. And so Christmas is a dark time of the year. It's dark out. It gets dark early. And yet we light candles of hope. And you've got a candle in your hands. There's a little switch at the bottom. Don't turn it on yet. Lighting that candle is an opportunity to say, even though our lives are like a nickel, can go either way, heads or tails, we can land in the direction of tragedy and pain, or we can land in the direction of hope. Christmas is right on the edge. And we both feel that. And if you're old enough, and if you're paying attention, you feel that. There's people for whom they couldn't come tonight because there's a lot of pain around Christmas. Perhaps the people they used to be married to they're not celebrating with anymore. And kids have to be shuffled back and forth, and that's hard. And yet, in the middle of all that, there's what? There's hope. The days are starting to get longer. The Lord is still in charge. And hope will have its way. The thing about Christmas is Christmas actually magnifies everything. If you're feeling hopeful, you'll start to feel really good. If you're feeling down, you'll start to feel really down. And it's got that magnifying effect on how we're doing. Who thinks people in California occasionally stay way too busy during Christmas just so they don't have to feel those things? If I could just stay busy, I won't have to think about the hope in my life and the hard things in my life. And I won't have to think about what Christmas actually means. So tonight, 
we're going to give you some fresh bread. No, no Hallmark cards, no leftovers, no reruns. I want to teach some fresh stuff on Christmas from that old story. And I want to let you know that you're in really good company. Because guess who else was on that nickel's edge at Christmas? Joseph. Joseph, the story tells us in Luke 2, has to walk seven days to get audited. It's about taxes. He's going to Bethlehem to pay taxes. And he had to have had quite a bit of money, otherwise they wouldn't have made him take that trip all the way down there to get audited. I mean, the story starts with a tax audit. Who looks forward to a tax audit? Nobody. We check, every time we check the mail, we hope it doesn't come. You know, the, the IRS. Are you more afraid to get a flyer from Ford or GM or a letter from the IRS when you open it? Exactly. Nobody wants this. So he gets hauled down to Bethlehem. And Luke tells us to be taxed. And guess who he's got to bring with him? His pregnant girlfriend. This is not a good, not a good Christmas for him. He's getting audited. He's got seven days journey to go down there. And his fiance, girlfriend, whatever. You don't want to have, this is not how you want to spend your winter. This is not how you want to go through Christmas. And Joseph is going to get audited. His wife is pregnant. How many of you women who've been pregnant like to travel in the ninth month for seven days on a donkey? That's, who thinks they had some interesting conversations on the way down? You have to get audited now. You know, what, take me. To, he's sitting in a tough spot. And that nickel can fall heads or tails. And he's thinking tails at this point. This, this is, how is this going to get better? How is, how is this going to improve? And we start to wonder like that. And it helps us to know that Joseph was going through the same thing. If you like to watch like superhero things or legends or mythology or whatever, or even like looking at the Old Testament, in all legends, the hero is born in a precarious position in dark times. When was Moses born? Moses was born in terrible times, and he ended up floating in a basket. And he ends up saving Israel. Very often, God sends the person to help us when we're in a tough spot, to be born into a tough spot, and to show us something really amazing. And... In Luke's gospel, the hero is not a superhero. The hero is a baby. This is quite a story. Joseph's getting audited. His fiancée is pregnant. It's seven days travel. He's on his way down here. And the nickel can go either way. And the hero is the baby. But the truth is, babies are an infinite and eternal embodiment of hope. Babies have total potential. Now, I didn't tell the Minonis I was going to put this picture up there, but this is their brand new grandson, Jack. We just went to visit him a few days ago. This is Wendy with Jack. The great thing about baby is for Jack, he is still in, he has infinite potential. There's nothing that he's done so far that will cut off any avenue forward. As we go through life, certain avenues close to us. But babies have infinite potential. And so God sends into this dark time to
to a guy getting audited with a pregnant fiance where life is right on the edge and sends a baby. Not some big hero with a sword or some lightsaber or something like that, but a baby. Because babies are infinitely a symbol of hope. I love visiting babies in the hospital. It's just an absolutely beautiful and wonderful thing. When you allow the Christ child, the child of hope, to be born in you, all heaven and nature sing. What happened to the shepherds? The shepherds experienced this whole cosmic thing. And when you, with your life, and if you're paying attention, it's on that nickel edge. It always is. Every day you get up, you can go heads or tails. Life is precarious. You can get wiped out on a car wreck or, or you can get blessed by something. You just don't know what's coming around the road. You just don't know. And in the middle of all that stuff, when people are receptive to the gift of the child, all heaven and nature breaks out in song and the angels start singing. Because when we receive hope, when we receive the baby, when we receive what he stands for, we choose in the midst of all the stuff we're going through to choose to believe in hope. To choose to have faith. I live on Main Street. Depending on the day, you walk down to the pier, and one side of the street is sunny, and one side of the street is shady. Same journey, you get to choose which side you walk on. You're going to walk on the side of hope, or you're going to walk on the side of tragedy. And that tragedy is real, but you can choose to cross the street and walk on the sunny side down to the pier. Not only do all heaven and nature sing, Jesus gets born into a stable. There's a word I can't use in sermons, but it starts with S, and there's a lot of it in stables. A lot of it in stables. If you've ever shoveled out a stable, Wendy and I went to visit a farm in Germany, an old, beautiful old house, and it was attached to the barn. And we're here in this nice kitchen having cake with this old lady we're visiting. And the whole place smells like poop. It is... It, it's just, it's hard to eat because we're, we're sitting here with nice little doilies on the table and everything, you know, and this grandma, his cake, and the cows are right on the other side of the door. It smells terrible. That's why Americans don't do that. We, we, we learned when we crossed the ocean to put the, put the barn somewhere else. It's just awful. I don't know how people eat in those houses. I really don't. But what I'm saying is this. We've all got that smelly, yucky stuff in our life. And Jesus, the baby, was born right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of your stuff. I'll use that S word instead. Right in the middle of your stuff. The worst stuff you're going through right now, that's where God put the baby. As a sign of hope, right in the middle of your stuff. And we've all got stuff. We do. So let's be honest that life is hard. And we need a hero to save us. And that hero is a baby. And when we receive that hope, the sky lights up with angels and starts to conspire to help us. And we can move along in faith. This is what Christmas is all about. This is an incredible, incredible story. We've got these beautiful manger scenes. Mangers are not beautiful. I mean, think about it. Those of you who've had babies, I want to put my kid in a smelly feeding trough. You don't think that. And we, we wash our hands and we keep things clean. And that's what God does. So we sing, be born in us today. I'm going to invite the worship team up.
And what we're going to do is we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing a song that was written in the Alps in Europe. It was written in a little church smaller than this one. And the organ broke. And they couldn't fix it. And so a couple guys on a guitar wrote the greatest of all Christmas songs. And one of the phrases is it is, be born in us today. I want you to be brave enough to look at the part of your life that's the smelliest, the worst, the stable. The part of your life that's the hardest. And I want you to invite the baby Jesus to be born into that place. And if you want to choose hope over the brokenness of the world, we'll have a moment there and be able to turn on your candle. And that's a way of voting and saying, I'm choosing hope over brokenness. I'm choosing Did everyone get one, Tamara says. Everybody got one? Great. Okay. Let's all stand up. Can I get the lights in the back? Somebody want to grab those? I'm going to hold my candle. When I hold my candle up, I invite you to take your candle and hold it up with me. If you want to choose hope, there's a switch at the bottom. Think of that spot in your life that... Needs the most cleanup. That place where perhaps you're grieving the loss of a loved one who's no longer with us. I'm thinking about Wendy's dad, my grandpa and grandma, my dad, Wendy's mom. And I'm choosing the hope of a baby in the middle of that. Lord, I pray that your son would be born in us today. That this story would not just be about something that happened 2,000 years ago. This story would be about us. That this story would be about us inviting your son into the messiest part of our lives. Choosing hope over tragedy. That nickel's sitting right on its edge, Lord, and we want to knock it over and have it land heads, not tails. And we're not going to deny our problems, Lord, but we're going to trust that your son can bring infinite possibilities, just like that baby Jack in that picture with Wendy, who has infinite possibilities. Jesus brings infinite possibilities into the worst parts of our lives. Lord, people all over the world are going to be singing this song. My guess is the angels have learned it too, and we're going to sing it with them.